Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. Here's this week's message from Pastor Chris. Well, we're in a wonderful series, Summer in the Psalms, and it's been good so far. I hope you've been enjoying it. I've been listening um, to the messages, taking notes, and I'm excited for a few more weeks of this until the end of the summer. It's been good so far. So thankful to God for his word. Today we're going to be reading in Psalm 27. Feel free to turn there if you'd like in your Bibles or on your phones. And in this psalm, there are many popular verses. Many popular verses throughout this psalm. Uh, but one, the- one strong theme that emerges, I believe in Psalm 27, is David's courage in immense trials. Psalm 27 shows us that David faced very immense trials, as we're going to see, and that he had great courage in God. So I really feel that God wants to edify us this morning. I really feel that he wants to empower us this morning to have this type of courage in the trials that we face as well. So can we pray? Would you mind standing and we'll put ourselves before the Lord? Lord, we just want to ask you to speak to us. We believe that you have something to say to us this morning. We come in humility. We come in boldness. Lord, asking you to speak. Lord, would you go beyond my words? Lord, would you you speak what you have for our hearts today? Would you empower, Lord God? Would you fill us? We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. In the stretching times that we've been through and that we we're currently in, I'm often uh, hearing people around me just sharing that they're going through a difficult time, a troubling time. I regularly hear the words, this has been a difficult season. The last number of years for my family and I have also had trials too and sometimes uh, very difficult ones as well. So this topic of courage in trials, this, this has been an important topic for me for a number of years now. So, you know, let's go through Psalm 27. Let's go through verse by verse and, and take a look at what it says. We're actually going to really focus on the first six verses, so the first half of the psalm. As we go, I really believe there's three words that emerge as the themes for David's courage and trials. So let me give you those words right now, and then we'll jump right into it. So these are the three words, revelation, habitation, and rejoicing. So I'll say those again, and if I can ask you to try to commit those to memory as we go through this and as we see these themes come up, revelation, habitation, and rejoicing. So let's read together, starting in verse 1. So David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So right at the beginning of of these verses, David says, the Lord is my light. 
Some scholars believe that David wrote this psalm, Psalm 27, later on in his reign as a king when he was going to war with his army. There's this one story found in 2 Samuel 21 where David was going to war with his army and there's a giant named Ishbi Benob who tried to kill David right in the middle of the war. He just advanced on David, tried to take him out, tried to take out Israel's king. And David was tired in the battle, so the giant was almost successful. But one of David's warriors named Abishai rose up, slayed the giant, killed him, and rescued David. And then the Bible says, and this is kind of funny because, you know, David's men are kind of commanding him. That's how loved he is. But it's kind of funny. David's men swore to him, according to the Bible, you shall no longer go out with us to battle lest you quench the lamp of Israel. If you come out to war with us and you die, Israel's light goes out. It sounds to me like David is loved, like he's cherished and admired by his people, by his army, by his people. And I think for any of us, that could be a reason for pride. But look at Psalm 27, how David starts it off. He doesn't say, I, David, Israel's light. He says, the Lord is my light. Look at how he starts that off. We can see a glimpse of humility and how the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart in his humility. There is debate among scholars as to what point David wrote this, but whether or not it was in response to this don't quench the light of Israel moment, whether or not, it's still amazing that we can see that David starts the psalm with, the Lord is my light. We can see David has a clear focus on God, a relentless focus on God when we read through the psalms that David has. So let's move on now to this next part and we'll see right here the theme of courage starting to emerge. David says, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. So David declares exactly what he knows to be true about God. And here's this first of the three words that I said. I said revelation, habitation, and rejoicing are the themes that, that are in this, this psalm. Here's the first one, David's revelation, because he declares exactly what he knows to be true about God. And in this verse, David actually is seeming to give us his key for courage. David says, the Lord is my stronghold. So his key for courage is, his courage is in the Lord. He says so many times in the Psalms, Lord, I'm hidden under the shelter of your wing. He uses the analogy of a bird, you know, hides its baby chicks under the shelter of the wing. He says, Lord, I'm under the shelter of your wing. So in verse one, David is saying that the what of his courage is the Lord. The Lord is his courage. Now let's look in just the end of this Psalm, verse 14, it says this. Wait on the Lord. Let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. So if verse 1 is the what of his courage, verse 14 is the how. How do I get that courage? And why do I mention that? Why do I say the what and the how? Because these are the questions I'm asking as I'm reading this. I'm asking David, how did you have this courage? David, what is your courage? How is it, David, that you you're speaking about God's power so profoundly. What's going on in your life? I'm asking these questions. So if verse one is the what, that David's courage is the Lord, verse 14 is the how he has courage. Wait on the Lord. So those two, you could say they'd be the key text of our message this morning, but um, the, we're gonna see now as we go into it deeper, we're gonna see these three words. So I'll say them again, emerge. 
Revelation, which we're talking about now, habitation and rejoicing. So let's continue reading in verse two and three. David says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, one person, yet I will be confident. So we can note there, first of all, right off the bat, David's trials are not minor. These are big trials. His foes that are against him, he says, they're here to eat up my flesh. So 100%, they're, they're aiming to kill me, aim at, aiming at my life. And he says, an army is encamped against me. So these are immense trials that David has. But I believe that when the Bible here is using the words like, eat up my flesh, and it's when it's talking about an army against me, I believe the word of God is trying to say to us, even when our trials seem impossible, we can have courage. Because an army against me, there's no human win, right? Samson never beat an army by himself. And David's mighty men, they never beat an army by themselves, only God. So even if our situation is impossible, and I don't know what you guys are facing. I don't know what you have had in your lives in the last few months, what you're going through now or what's to come. But even if our situation's impossible, even if we feel like we're in a prison, we can still have courage. For many of us, the trials over the past year to two years have been, have been immense. There have been health concerns. There have been mental health concerns. There have been job loss. There have been, there's been confusion, chaos, polarization. And of course, having courage, it doesn't mean that our problems go away. It doesn't mean that they, they don't continue to be intense. It means that he walks with us and he strengthens us. He gives us peace and joy. And we all want that in our trials. So what do verses two and three show us that David did in his immense trials? This is that word revelation of God. Revelation of God. He spoke boldly about what he knows is true. He boldly declared his confidence in God even in the intense trials, even while they were happening. So about... The, his enemies against him, he said, it is they who will stumble and fall. Because David says, because I know that my days are numbered. God has my days numbered. I can't die before God says I'm gonna die. I'm under the shelter of his wing. That's what I know to be true about God. That's David's revelation. He says, even about the army encamped against me, yet I will remain confident. So I believe this is our first key to courage in trials. The only way David could say those things is because he had a deep, he had a profound revelation about what's true about God, that God protects him, that God is sovereign, that God's in charge, and that God is for him. And then by extension, David knew, he had a revelation about what was true about himself and what was true about his situation. Despite the trials, guys, we need to grow our revelation of who God is. It's so true. I want this. Do you want this? I need to, we need to grow our revelation of who God is today in my trials today. Who is God in your trials today? Who is God in exactly the problem you're facing now? We can ask very practical questions. I love these questions. Here's five of them. We can ask very practical questions like, God, what do you say is true about my situation? God, what are you doing in my situation, in my trial? Or this one, God, what is your hope-filled promise for me 
in my trial? Or God, can you show me right now how you can be enough for me in my trial? Or this question, this is, I love this question. God, what kind of a person do you want me to be as I go through this trial? I love asking that question. These questions like these will help grow our revelation of who God is and teach us how to pray our way through our trials. The Holy Spirit loves to reveal to me, to you, to us, who God is and who he can be in our trials. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And it seems to me that there's some revelation of God. There's some understandings that we can actually only get through trials, through the trials that we face. I could say, God is the Prince of Peace. I could say he's close to the brokenhearted. But if I haven't experienced immense anxiety, I haven't tasted and seen what that means. What does the Prince of Peace mean unless I have his supernatural peace? He's close to the brokenhearted. If I haven't been brokenhearted, which, wow, many of us have, right? But it's in that brokenheartedness that we experience that his closeness. You know, the Bible says, there's no height or depth that I can go to separate myself from his love. And that's so true. But if I haven't reached rock bottom, then I haven't tasted and seen that to the same degree. It's just so true that the light shines clearer in the darkness. Let's look at how David, David's revelation of God grew. Because like we're saying here, we need a revelation to have courage. At a young age, David spoke out that God gave him the victory over a bear and a lion that was attacking his sheep. We remember that story. And in the story of David and Goliath, which would be absolutely the clearest picture of David's revelation of God. It's clear as day in this story. So everyone on the battlefield, everyone in the battlefield didn't have their eyes on Yahweh. They had their eyes on Goliath, this giant that was just standing there. And day after day, the Bible says, was pouring out his, his speech. Saul and the Israelite army, their God wasn't big enough to defeat Goliath. But David came in and he had his eyes on Yahweh. Everyone in the battlefield, on both sides of the battle, they thought it was a battle between a boy and a giant. David knew that it was a battle between Goliath and Yahweh. Isn't that true? He had his eyes fixed on Yahweh. What was it that David said in the story? He said to Goliath, you dare come against the armies of the living God? You dare? Unbelievable. Because David had a revelation of who God is. We need that revelation in our trials. Did David walk into his trial against Goliath and, and go, oh, I'm overwhelmed in this? And by the way, sometimes we feel overwhelmed. Yes, absolutely. Not, not to say that when we have a revelation of God, we just were always flowing in this, you know, constant state of just, oh yeah, life is good. No, we feel what we feel and we see our trials. We should see the reality of them. But then when David being so filled up on the reality of who God is, having a revelation, look what he said to Goliath out of his revelation of God. We could go on and on. David, as fleeing from Saul, he learned about God's protection. As a king, he learned about God's wisdom. And I, but I think if at the end of it all, if we were to ask David, David, now that you've been through all of this, maybe we will ask him, you know, someday in eternity, David, what would you say is true about God's power, about his strength? What would you say, David, if you could say one thing, what would you say? I think maybe a clue is what he says in Psalm 115, verse three. David says this. The Lord sits enthroned in heaven. 
and he does all that he pleases. And if we just gloss over that thought, it could be easy, but just to park on that, I've been parking and trying to meditate on this verse. The Lord sits enthroned in the heavens. So nations, kingdoms, empires, governments, us, we're all down here on one level. The Lord is on a totally different level and he does all that he pleases. So there is no power to be found here in this earth that is not in God. There is no glory to be found here in this earth that is not in God. And brothers, sisters, he's on our side. He's on our side. This is the God that we have on our side in trials. Isn't he good? And let me just say, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. But this is how good he is. Uh, here's three ways our perspective changes when we have a deeper and a truer revelation of God. The first one is that we see that our problems are outmatched. And this is what we were just talking about, right? There's no trial that can stand up to God. There's no giant. There's no mountain. There's no virus. There's no valley. There's no desert. There's no army that can stand up against the peace that we have in God. Though we, it might persist, the trial might persist in our lives, day after day, week or month or year after year, anxiety, rejection, depression, it might persist. It cannot stand up against the peace that we have in God because of who he is. It can't stand up against the joy that we have in God. And we're going to touch on joy later. It can't stand up against the rest, the rest that we have in God. And I love this quote from Pastor Lyle Phillips. He said this, when we've deprived our spirits of God's presence, we become impressed with the size of our problems. Isn't that true? I've been thinking about that. When we deprive our spirit of God's presence, we become impressed with the size of our problems. So the second way our perspective changes with revelation of God is you get filled with the re... Oh, sorry. Our perspective of what is true changes. Now here, we get filled with the reality that he's in control. We get filled with the reality that he's good, that he's for me, that he hasn't planned out your demise. He's planned out your future and to prosper you. Our perspective of what is true changes. And thirdly here, deeper revelation can allow us to see the root of our problem. It can allow us to see that a deeper thing is going on in our lives or in our situation. Again, I don't know what you're facing. I don't know when in your life you have or may face things that just feel like a prison, just feel impossible. Those impossible things we were talking about. But a perspective of God, a revelation of God can allow us to sometimes see it differently. Maybe sometimes the prison, God says, isn't to keep you in. Maybe sometimes the prison is to keep out that which isn't God's best for you. Maybe sometimes God's saying the prison isn't to, to lock you in. It's to keep out that which isn't good for you. And this next one has been so true in my life. Maybe sometimes God is protecting us even from ourselves. But in doing that, one day we get to come to see that actually in that trial, in him protecting me from myself, he's actually answering my deepest prayers and my deepest longings for the future. That's been so true in my life. I wish I had time I would testify to that. 
Church, do you want to grow in your revelation of how big God is for you in your trials today? I know I do. Do you want to be like in the book of Joshua? There were 12 spies, right? They went to go spy out the promised land. They went to go spy out the promised land. That was their future, prophetically promised to them. They went to go spy it out and they were looking at it. And 10 of the 12 spies said this. They said, I see giants. So they said, let's not go. Let's not go because the giants are too big. Let's, by the way, let's not go into what is given to us. God says it's what's given to them. And they said, let's not go. Or do you want to be like Joshua and Caleb who said, our eyes are on Yahweh. Are there giants there? Yeah, there are. I can see them, but my eyes are on Yahweh. No, by no means are we saying that we don't acknowledge our problems, that we don't embrace and accept and face them. We're not saying that. We're saying, do you have a revelation of how big God is? Do we have a revelation? Oh, and I'm speaking to myself so much here. Oh, I'm speaking to myself. I, I marvel at my weakness. Did you guys ever do that? I laugh at how weak I am. I um, think about, you know, by God's grace, go through the storms of these days that we're in, I, I often um, find that I have maybe the courage to face what's going on in the big picture stuff. And then I get at home, you know, and my kid doesn't listen to me. And then they don't listen to me again. And they're still not listening. And now Chris is just like overwhelmed. And I'm like, ah, I'm done. It's like, it's like I think this is the end, you know? And then I just laugh at myself and I just marvel at how weak I am. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord, how weak I am. I'm preaching to myself here, guys. When we get a deep revelation of who God is, we can say this. Jesus is so much more powerful than any army that comes against me, than any natural disaster that comes against me. He's so much more powerful. If I was faced with an army against me, I would fall on my face in despair. If I was faced with a natural disaster like her, uh, hurricane, tornado, I would fall on my face in overwhelmed. But yet, just a glimpse of Jesus' presence and I would fall on my face. So who is more powerful? Who's more powerful? Any army has to bow their knee in the presence of Jesus. Any natural disaster calms itself at the hush of his word. Who is more powerful? And Jesus, I don't deserve it. We don't deserve it, Lord, but thank you that you're on our side, the God of all power. Remember, he sits enthroned in the heavens and he does what he pleases. There's no stopping our God. Amen? I love this story about a CEO of a company. A young girl got her first job at a very large company with many departments, many levels, thousands of employees. She thought to herself, she might only even meet a small number of people that are in her department. On her first day at work, on her lunch break, she had no idea who to sit with or where to go. She found herself in a hallway with a big bulletin board filled with notices, memos, policies, company information was on the board. But then she noticed on the bottom right corner of the board, there was a sticky pad with a handwritten note on it. She thought, that's kind of interesting. She pulled the sticky off. You know those sticky pads? She pulled the sticky off to read it, and it was a handwritten note, and she noticed the note underneath had a handwritten message on it too, different from this one. So she flipped through it and saw that there was handwritten messages on all of this, the sticky notes in this pad. And she read it, and it said this, 
free for a call during and outside of work hours. Any question or need that you have is important. And I have time for it. Your CEO. And then it had the CEO's cell phone number. The young woman was amazed at the generosity of this person's time. That you could call any time of the day the CEO. She couldn't believe it. And why is the sticky pad there? Why didn't people remove the notes? Why was it so full? Did people think it was a joke? Did they think it wasn't true? You see, our revelation of who God is changes everything. If we feel he's far off, if we feel he's like a, a CEO many levels away from us that we'll never even touch, we're not going to turn to him in our trials. But the Bible shows us the better reality that he's closer than a brother, it says. He's strong in our trials, and he's for us, and he loves us. So God, grow our revelation of you, we ask. Grow our revelation. We're talking about three things. Do you remember my three words I gave you? Do a little check-in. We're talking about three things. I said revelation, habitation, which we're going to go to now, and rejoicing. So let's read now in verse 4 of Psalm 27. David says this, one thing I have asked of the Lord, that I, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. See, David's revelation of God was huge, but it wasn't enough to give him courage. It wasn't. Psalm 27, that he needed not to just know who God is. He needed to know God. And Paul said the same thing. He said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2. He said this, And if I have prophetic powers, if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. So Paul's saying, revelation's not enough. I need love. I need a relationship. Why did a mighty warrior, a very busy king like David, why did he focus all of his attention, it says here, in sitting in the presence of God? Why did he do that? He's a busy guy. Why was he obsessed with sitting at the feet of God? He could have taken courage in his army, in his mighty men, in his reputation, or in his success. Why did he dwell with God? David says in verse 4, I want to do this all the days of my life. And here's a key point. To dwell with God means habitation. It means he inhabits us. So here's a key point. We need to encounter his presence every day. We need to encounter it every hour and we need to encounter it to have courage. Isn't that true? Some people say like, how does this work? Didn't I encounter Jesus when I became saved? Why do I need to encounter him again now? Wasn't that enough? Well, of course it was enough for salvation. But here's the thing. My problems need to encounter Jesus. My wounds from the past, my hurts from the past need to encounter Jesus today. On the, yes, there was a day of salvation for me, but I didn't have all of my wounds and my problems healed in one day. I need to encounter God today. I need to encounter God this hour. David said he needs it all the days of his life. So we're not looking for an encounter with the presence of God. We're not looking for that a one-time explosive firework encounter that's going to carry us for years, like Paul in the third heavens or David, the vision of the throne room. 
Here's a much better picture for the presence of God and an encounter with God. It's the picture that the Bible gives us of our daily bread. A habitation means his daily bread of his presence for you, his daily bread of his presence for me. That's what a habitation is. I carry him with me when I go. It means God is my home. I want to be a person of the presence. Do you want to be a person of the presence, church? I just want to encourage us to cultivate the presence of God in, his life, in, in our lives, to be presence people. Jesus came to dwell among us, and his name, Emmanuel, means God with us. And he wants to dwell with you in your trials. He wants to dwell with you in your problems. Jesus means the Lord saves. He wants to save us in our problems. Isn't that true? We need a habitation. Amen? We need a habitation. We need revelation, and we need a habitation. As God inhabits me, prayer becomes my priority. But also, I love this thought, God wants to inhabit me way more than I want it. Way more. He's so good. And when God inhabits us and he dwells with us and we dwell with him, it doesn't mean we don't face trials ongoing. It doesn't mean we don't bang up against anxiety, come up against depression and fear. It doesn't mean that. It means we allow him in and let him transform us. Let him show us what he's doing, who he is, and the hope that he has for us in our trials. We also, in the presence of God, we go there when we're perplexed. David did this. We see, he says in verse four here, he says, I go into the house of the Lord to inquire in God's temple. And it's amazing in Psalm 73, he gives us an exact story of how he did this, how he inquired in God's temple. David, as a king, was perplexed with a situation that he absolutely did not know how to handle. He says here in Psalm 73, for all the day long I have been stricken. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. So he's saying, if I would have said, if I would have done this, it would have been, put me in a bad place. If I would do this, on the other hand, I would have been in a bad place. David is like, I'm between a rock and a hard place. I have no idea what to do. And then he says this, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I love it. I just love that. I laugh when he says that. When I thought to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. And then I discerned my answer. David went into the presence of God to inquire of the Lord and he got his answer. I love that. We see it all through scripture. Moses went into the tent of meeting and in Exodus 33, where it talks about Moses going into the tent of meeting, it says, God said to Moses, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Daniel's another great example. He prayed three times a day in the presence of God, in the secret place with God. And Jesus taught his disciples to go into the presence of God, to steal away and spend time with their Lord. One of my favorite stories of this, a story that, brief story that I've carried with me and that I think upon and meditate on when I need revelation or when I need the presence of God to inhabit me in my trials is this story of Esther An Kim in Korea in 1929. Esther An Kim walked slowly up the hill to the shrine with her students following silently behind her. The young teacher knew that when she arrived at the place of worship, she would be forced to make a life-altering choice. The Japanese were forcing everyone to bow at the shrine of their sun god, and the punishment for refusing was in 
imprisonment, torture, and possibly death. Fearing for their lives, many Christians had already given in and bowed. And now it was Esther's turn to make her decision. So on top of that hill, she fixed her eyes on the vast sky. She thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And she knew what she should do. The entire crowd around her, believers and non-believers, they bowed their bodies and she alone stood standing. A meek, humble person. She alone stood standing. After she descended down the hill going back to the school, she all of a sudden was just hit with panic. We can be hit with panic in this life, can't we? She was hit with panic. She thought to herself, when am I going to be taken? Am I going to be taken? Are they going to be waiting for me at the bottom of this hill? Is it when I get back to my home that I'm going to be taken? She was hit with panic. And so she did what only she could do, walking down the hill with her students. She said, Lord, meet me in this moment. Lord, I need you. She started to think of scripture verses that she knows. And God encountered her in that moment. She was filled with peace. We have to remember this point that peace is supernatural. It's natural sometimes. It's also supernatural. She was flooded with peace. She says in this story, she was even flooded with joy. She was even flooded with joy. In the middle of her trial, she didn't know what awaited her, but yet joy was within her from the Lord. And does it always happen like that? Are we trying to say this message in just a trite way? Like, oh yeah, just pray. No, it doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes it takes endurance. It takes persistence. We know that life is real. It's messy. But God is big. God is huge. He sits enthroned in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. So can he help you in your panic, in your moment of trial? Can he help you? Can he help me? He can. Amen? The, the other the last thing David says he does here in the presence of God is he gazes upon the beauty of the Lord. The Hebrew word benoam is used for beauty here. It's the only time it's used in the Bible. It means beauty. It means delightfulness. This verse, I believe, is trying to say that God in his presence is filled with beauty and wonder. And for me, it's satisfying and it's fulfilling. Or another way, what I'm trying to say is, I am made to live in his presence. So we need a revelation. We need a habitation. And just thirdly, last, do you remember our third word we said, starts with an R, is rejoicing. So David said here in Psalm 27, verse 6, he said, after facing adversaries with impossibility, after going to the throne room of God, he says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. He's faced with life's impossible, and God lifts him up, and now he's joyful, and I will sing and make melody to the Lord. It's amazing to see how God's reality floods us in trials. His presence floods us in trials and we can actually have delight. When we have joy and delight, dread is gone. Dread goes out the back door. They don't exist together. Really, when our God is this good, I just feel there's nothing we can do. Though we face trials, I feel there's nothing we can do other than just thank God as believers. We live the adventure of this Christian life where we get to see and experience and experience the reality that God turns all things for good. He turns all things for good, even the bad. 
And then David said at the end of this, this psalm, he said, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So with confidence, God, you're good. I believe I'll look upon your goodness. And then he ends summarizing the courage. He says, wait on the Lord. Let your heart take courage. Wait on the Lord. There is courage to be had to be consumed in the Lord's presence, says David. My brothers, my sisters, we need a revelation. We need a habitation. And God lifts us up into rejoicing. Isn't he good? I'm going to ask you, because I'm thinking about myself coming into this. I'm thinking about, you know, I don't know what you've walked. I don't know where you're at. I'm going to ask you if you would say today, I want to continue to walk in his presence with revelation. I want to continue to bring my trials in this way. Or if you'd say, I want to grow in this, or I want to start in this, or take it to the next level. And if you're going through trials right now, if you want to respond to God right now, I would love to pray over you. I'm going to ask you, would you stand just right where you are? Even if you're watching at home, if you want to stand, I would ask you, I would just love to pray for you. I'd love the chance. If you're going through trials, I just, let's take the moment and pray. Let's pray and let's commit to what we're talking about here. Let's commit, Lord, we need a revelation of you. And Lord, we want you to dwell with us. So let's pray. Hmm. God, we believe you're calling us into a revelation of you. You're calling us into a deeper, ongoing revelation of you. We believe you're calling us to dwell with you as you inhabit us, God. And we want it. We say yes. And when it comes to the trials and when it comes to the courage needed, Lord, I say this. Lord, with humility, we say, God, we are afflicted on all sides sometimes. And even if we are afflicted on all sides, as the word says in 2 Corinthians 4, even if we're afflicted on all sides, we are not crushed because of you, God. Because of you. Lord, we humbly say, I will not be crushed unless Jesus is crushed. The one who's hiding me under the shelter of his wing, the one who I'm abiding in. I won't be crushed unless my Jesus is crushed. When the day of trial comes, and Lord, we ask you to empower us. We ask you to meet us and to encounter us, God. We say we want to be people of the presence. We want to carry your presence, Lord, for your glory. Lord, oh, we can only bring with us into the trial that maturity, the depth of our relationship of God that we have going into the trial. So Lord, we want to build that up now. We want to strengthen that up now. God, we call on you. Lord, I pray over everyone who's responding and I pray over all of us as we are walking out this life, Lord God, with joy, with thanksgiving, with anticipation, with your supernatural peace, knowing that you're good. We want to live in the reality of who you are. So Lord, I pray over everyone that's responding. Pray you would fill them. I pray you would encounter them. I pray you would empower them. Now and going forward, 
Lord, we glorify you. We have so much to be thankful for. It's all you and who you are, God. Amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.